Welcome back to the PFC podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC podcast. This is Dennis and today I am with Alex. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, Dennis. How about yourself? I'm doing very good. And uh, the reason I brought you onto the podcast is you work for uh, Massimo, and that's exactly what I want to talk about today is how do I run this thing like a boss? So um, if you don't mind doing just a, a real quick introduction of yourself. Absolutely. So my name is Alex Drum. I'm the government clinical manager with Massimo. I was a 68 whiskey in my past life and a paramedic on the civilian side and uh, got sucked into the dark side. And so here, uh, here I am. Perfect. Perfect. I will say, so, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, all the opinions that I'm going to express and talk about today are all mine. They're not Massimo's, you know, your standard disclaimer. This is me talking to you guys. It's not, uh, not the corporate office. Perfect. <laughs> and that that's exactly what we want. I just want the, the down and dirty, right? Right. So um, if you don't mind, um, would you just run me through some of the basic functions of the Emma? Yes. So Emma Capnograph, if you haven't seen it, it's this little handheld mainstream entitled CO2 device. This goes on the end of your ET tube or your pocket mask and go either way. You throw it on, like all in title, it's critical that you maintain a fully sealed uh, uh, circuit. And so that the, all the entitled CO2 that's exhaled is captured going across the sensor. If you have leaks in your mask, leaks in your tube, you're gonna miss parts of that waveform, you're gonna miss part of that entitled return and you're not get the numbers you're hoping for. So just be uh, be aware of that. It runs on two AA, or AAA batteries uh, with standard, uh, with alkaline batteries, you can get about five hours of runtime. With lithium batteries, you'll get about 10 hours of runtime. So just be uh, be aware of that. Pretty easy to put in. Big end always goes down on the device. Obviously, because that's going towards the patient. So you're just going to clip in. You press the button, it'll turn on. Let's see. There we go. It'll turn on. Now, when it boots up, you'll see it comes to the screen and says zero. That's good. Sometimes if it's been out and about, it's been rolling around your A bag, it might not be at zero. It might say two, it might say three. That means it just needs a quick calibration. So to do that, there's two buttons, one on the top and one on the bottom. You're gonna press and hold both of those and you're gonna hold it for what feels like an absurdly long amount of time. The idea being we don't want you to actually trigger this and have it start calibrating while it's on somebody. It's also important when it boots, there we go. You see it kicked over now so it's CO and it's counting down. Yeah. When that gets to zero, it's calibrated and happy. Okay. Oh, that, I think I let off one of the buttons a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so it goes, goes to zero, it's happy with itself. Now, right. when you first boot it up or when you're calibrating, do not have it on a patient or in a circuit where entitled CO2 is flowing by because that'll it'll then normalize to that level. And yeah. that's, what, that's the baseline and that's not what you want. Okay. So when I uh, when I calibrate this thing, yep. I got one too. Yep. Do I have to hold it all the way till it says zero? Yes. You're gonna hit hit and hold both buttons. Okay. It, it's gonna be a little longer than you want it to be. You let off on one of the buttons. Yep. <laughs> there we go. You see it's doing the CO ten nine eight seven. You want to hold the buttons down through the whole countdown. 
three, two, one, boop, and now it's at zero. So now it's happy, okay. and now you're ready to throw it on your tube, your mask, whatever, start monitoring and running. Right. That so that's definitely a little bit of a trick, um, but that's, you know, just like changing your batteries or any kind of pre-mission or pre-run uh, thing, you know, make sure your, your M is calibrated. Especially exactly. if you're, you're depending on that quality information. Um, right. Well, presumably, you know, you're changing the batteries anyway. You got a fresh set in there, so you're you're good to go. So it's pretty easy to fire it up, do that real quick, then put it all away. Yeah. Um, so, is there any other kind of basic things that, like turning it off? Like I gotta tell you, that is the <laughs> thing that frustrates uh, people the most. Like I've seen people just like rip the batteries out of it, or like that, I mean, there's got to be a better way. You you can remove the batteries if you're feeling sporty. The easiest way is just to pop out the circuit when you're okay. done monitoring. It'll beep a couple times, but then it'll power down after 15 seconds. Okay. So you put those expensive lithium batteries in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't have to waste them sitting in your aid bag. You know, just remove that uh, insert exactly. and then it'll power it down. And it's off. Cool. But I, I agree. When I first got these, because I, I was conventional size, so I never got a chance to really play with these. When I first got it, when I started here, I was like, could not figure out the off sequence. Because, yeah. of course, like anybody, I didn't read the owner's manual. I just got it out and started playing with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why would you read it? You know why, what I mean? Why read the thing those engineers took years <laughs> to write for you? Right. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, those are some of the basic functions. And I got to be honest, that's some of the biggest frustrations is just like turning it off or yeah. you know it coming out of the out of your aid bag it's already reading five so you have to do math to try and figure out like oh the patient's somewhere you know yeah, calibrate which, don't don't do math don't, yeah. <laughs> don't do math not you're not um, able but you know. yeah, yeah, yeah one um, other thing just for rarely is it a thing for people but sometimes you may want to move your alarm variables up or down okay yeah. So if it should ever rise on here again, you'll see a button with an up arrow, a button with a down arrow. If you just press and hold it, it'll uh, eventually just one button. It'll flash low. And so now you're setting your low limit. So now you can use up and down buttons to move it to the value you want. And if it hits that number, it'll warn you. So maybe you're trying to bag somebody um, and keep them somewhere between 20 and 30. Now you set an alarm. And so it'll actually tell you if you're going outside of that. So you can open up that that mental bandwidth to focus on other things. And no, I just need to glance occasionally, but it will catch and warn me. Uh, there's you don't have to hit like an enter or anything. Once you let up on it, it'll return back to the main screen, and then you can do the same okay. thing and set that top barrier, and you're up and running. Well, I gotta so, be honest, I didn't even know that was a thing. So, <laughs> how often do you really need? You know, if you've got a vent with you, if you're lucky enough to have a vent with you, I can see that being as a save two or something that doesn't have integrated capnography i could see that being a value or if you're yeah. doing the you know one of the guidelines for the uh traumatic brain injury something along those lines we're keeping them in a different window than you're used to yeah i can see that being useful well i mean you're you're bagging your patient like how many times has that ever happened in like medicine right so <laughs> you know just knowing that hey I can I can actually set alarm even if it's just like I'm going to default set it to normal parameters. Now you know that's a thing. Exactly. 
exactly right. Um, the other thing I can show you, unfortunately, I don't have a great, they don't make a great simulator for these things. I don't know, you kind of see down there on the bottom, you get your waveform. So that's your actual yeah. entitled waveform, which we'll cover a little bit more in a minute. You get your respiratory rate and you get your actual entitled value on there. So just know you're getting those three metrics all the time. However, you will have to make sure if you're doing it with a mask, that the mask is fully sealed. If you're doing it yeah. with an e-tube, make sure that's all situated. Because again, any air ingress in is going to throw this, this off a bit. Yeah. And I've definitely like it's a it's a handy little trick to put it on a, a pocket mask or some kind of uh, you know non-rebreather mask or something like that. Mm -hmm. Collapse is pretty small. Um, it's pretty handy. But yeah. I see guys and those they uh, especially like the non-rebreather masks. Mm -hmm. Those things are like collapsed flat because it's stuck in your bag for so long. Yeah. And then you pop it open, you know, because. Like if you're whipping out the Emma, like this is not just like a uh, you know a basic patient. <laughs> like right. you're like you're you're definitely um, in a world of hurt, right? right? So they put it on the patient, and like the seal is horrible. You know you got you know douchebag patients like me that's <laughs> you know got a beard, and you know like it's it's blatantly obvious. Like you do not have a good seal, and um like that's in there in there you know in our where i work you know we're we have a training course and you know i've seen people just freak the freak freak out um because like hey your emma says you know 25 and they like don't <laughs> understand that um like no you have a crappy leak like it's right. like blatantly obvious, <laughs> like you have an enormous leak um, and you have to fix it. And you guys yeah. have never thought about just having pre-cut wax strips you put on and just uh, defer yeah. the face? I mean, I mean, a pre-cut wax strip, that, that's that's pretty high speed. I got to be honest, <laughs> like if you have pre-cut uh, stuff like that, um, you know, I've seen gel work real well, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, chest seals or any, you know, um, Tegaderm or something like that. I've seen work pretty well. Oh, um, but just even smart. But even just like the basic concept, like you don't have a good seal, your right. numbers are going to be off. Um, is just like blowing people's minds. You know what I mean? Yeah, and significantly off too. It's not. Yeah. It really needs that closed circuit to provide you with the the data you're looking for if you want to really right. trust it. Right. So and I would say, um, I know you mentioned it's only for, you know, pretty critical patients. And that is true. Most of the time they're too, but there are some fun party tricks you can do as far as hooking it up uh, on a patient and doing a passive leg raise, you know, have them lay on the ground for mm -hmm. a bit. And you can see how, how many soda pops they'd had the night before. You can, you can tell how dehydrated okay. they are, basically their fluid responsiveness. It's oh, a fun, really? Uh, yes. So, yeah, so I guess what happens? So, yeah, you, you lay them down, you let them kind of, and again, this is a party trick. This is not a uh, diagnostic sure. statement. Lay them down, get their end title, see what it is, and then prop their legs up and see if you've yeah. got a bump. If you get a uh, bump of several millimeters of mercury of, of end title return, they're fluid responsive. The bigger that gap, the more fluid responsive they are. Oh, really? 
I mean, not like cornering you into like some kind of a clinical diagnosis, but, you know, say you get a, you know, five or eight, you know, uh, is it, is it centimeters of water or is it? Uh, millimeters mercury. Millimeters mercury uh, difference. You know, does that correlate to any amount of volume? I don't, I, I, somebody out there in your audience probably knows. I, I don't, I'm not wise enough to know yeah. these. I just know you're you're adding to the preload, and you're able to see an output side. What? Okay. What, what so they could pent up. You know, you got like a you know heat injury of some kind. Um, at least you know, like, hey, this guy could probably use at least a drink of water. Right. 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 You know, whether that's a uh, you know orally rehydration or if you're really desperate. You know, 500, 500 bolas, something like right. that. And then just, you know, keep measuring that until the guy is, like, coherent enough to do it on his own. Well, it's the easy thing when you're doing your other checks. You know, I'm assuming mm -hmm. the soft medics, just like the conventional medics of the line unit, are doing their, their checks when you guys are doing force movements and stuff. It's an easy enough tool to pull out, spot check, see what's going on, and just see what you think. Yeah, it's yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, There's other than... Sorry. Um, I'm sorry, I cut you off. But yeah. um, you know, other than so, I've I've heard it said many times. You know, an Emma or some other kind of capnography, you know, is a kind of a poor man's cardiac output monitor, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you definitely have to know your know your stuff in order to suss out, you know, what these changing in numbers mean. It's um, one value, right? It's one one piece of the puzzle. But yeah. you start putting it together with other vital signs and observations you made of the patient. It's it's a pretty valuable piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, you know, I tell my students like never rely on just one vital sign to really drastically change um, your treatment. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because there's other things. It's just are you observant enough? to pay attention, you know? And that is the rub. That is yeah. a rub. Cognitive burden is a real thing where there's a lot of noise to find the signal and all that noise and lock on. Yep, so absolutely. And, uh, knowing what normal is and using these tools, not just at the point of injury on a really bad day, but using it on a good day when you're mm -hmm. out of the range or somewhere else, so you kind of know what normal is for these things. Right, right. my humble opinion. Um, so what I see a lot of guys use this for is, you know, airway confirmation. Like mm -hmm. that seems to be like the kind of mainstay and it is the gold standard when it comes to airway confirmation. Yep. Um, I would say one thing I, 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 um, see guys have a problem with is that they, they put it on real quick, get a number and then they're like, okay, I'm good. You do have to wait or the, uh, I believe it's six breaths to right. actually like get a true number. Um, because guys forget like, you know, there's people burp people, you know, you have gastric insufflation, you have other things that can, that can cause some kind of CO2 release. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, is that I, true? I'm a fan of, well, that is true. That is true. Right. Cause if it's just like anything else, 
if you put your fingers on somebody and feel their pulse for a second, multiply it by 60, that's not necessarily going to be what their, their heart rate is or respiratory rate, right? So you right. gotta you want to get a longer sampling window to see what all is going on with that patient. And, you know, I'm a big fan of also the waveform. It's not just the, the metrics and the fact that you have a waveform, but there's things that that waveform can actually tell you about your patient and about your therapies and where things are going. So I think it's yeah. important to throw it on. If you can, if you have the luxury of one patient, leave it on so you continue monitoring them. Because I know even on the civilian side, away from everything else, accidental extubation happens during uh-huh. patient movement. And, you know, th- that is in a very generally calm civilian environment doing a sheet transfer or something else. Your listeners are doing it in places where it's a lot rougher to move people around and a lot a lot more moving around going on. Um, oh, yeah. Like, there's so, not a lot yeah. of branches in the hospital. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I would argue that uh, leaving it on is a is a better call. And I understand if you have one Emma, multiple injury, injured patients with airway issues, I, I get it. But if you have the yeah. luxury, I would say leave it on. Get the mo- yeah. most data you can get out of that patient. Um, and, and I normally... Would 100% agree with you, especially when you're talking about, you know, patient transfer, you know, you're transporting mm-hmm. in a um, some kind of vehicle um, that it's dark, it's noisy, like you honestly have no way of knowing is this patient breathing or not. Like you can fool right. yourself, but you actually have no way. Um, the one thing I don't like when guys just leave it on is it's a weight on the end of your ET tube or your crike. Oh. And I've uh, I've definitely seen that weight start to at least dislodge things, if not Fair enough. extubate almost completely, um, just because they also are not securing things super well. You know, you're, right. you're just slapping on a chest tube or sorry, a chest seal, um, and uh, you know you're just kind of relying on the stickiness of this thing on a patient who's sweating or bleeding. And, um, right. you know, it doesn't doesn't really sit real well. Um, so you have this extra weight on it. And, can, and I've seen it pull it all the way out, um, even though it, you know, I don't know, it's a, weighing it here, a couple right. ounces, you know, definitely super light. Um, but I've seen that extra weight extubate a patient before. Um, sure. But uh, that being said, you know, in that kind of transport mode, um, or if I'm actually monitoring it, you know, so it's not just on there giving numbers that nobody's paying attention to. Um, but if I'm actually sitting there monitoring this, like I'm doing some kind of vent management, um, it's a hundred percent worth it because, you know, I'm focused on, <laughs> I'm actually focused on the numbers and what the things that it's telling me. Right. Right. Um, so you know, we kind of went through, you know, it's great. It's, it's a gold, the gold standard when it comes to airway confirmation. Um, is there, and I mentioned, you know, vent management, just getting your numbers and adjusting uh, rates and depths with it. Mm-hmm. Is there any other things that it, it's very useful for? The, you know, there's a lot of data on using it in triage uh, and using it in, Patients where you're trying to determine how much is how much salvageability is there 
you know, even on the civilian side, when we're looking at patients and you have an entitled, you know, with a full breath and the entitled return is less than 10, less than 12, the, yeah. you know, outside of a couple one-off situations, that's not a good sign, right? There's not enough yeah. cellular activity. The Krebs cycle is frozen. Things aren't happening. That's not good. And there's not a lot you're going to fix in the field. I know there's a lot of studies that look at uh, traumatic uh, uh, triage using entitled CO2. And it's similar. You know, if that number is that low, the, the odds of them making it, particularly in an austere or remote environment, all the way through the continuum of care to the surgical intervention they need in time is not, yeah. not strong. Um, so yeah. it's good for that determining or detecting ROSC, whether it's a cardiac arrest or maybe you're finally filling up the tank with enough blood to see a return of a perfusion, you'll see that number, you know, low, 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 and then you'll see it climb rapidly, especially with uh, cardiac arrest and ROSC. It's pretty, it's pretty marked change. You'd spot it pretty quick. Yeah. It's really actually pretty phenomenal to see. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it is dramatic. Like you'll see, it's like, you know, you mentioned 10 with a, uh, Doing triage, I mean, just CPR, you should be hitting fifteen. So exactly. So yeah, they're, it's they're, yeah, it's the same, things are bad off, and yeah, in that kind of environment, you may not have the time to to do a code on this patient. Um, right. But I've I've seen people, uh, you know, they're getting blood, you know, and you got you know your low or mid twenties type end title, and I've seen it like jump. You know, like 60s, 70s, you know what I mean? Exactly. No, it, it's a phenomenal change when that system kicks in and it starts perfusing and carrying all that waste out. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it really it is. is. And um, like like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty dramatic. Um, but, you know, you mentioned previously about waveforms. So if mm -hmm. you wouldn't mind, uh, would you help me kind of you know, just know what the frick I'm looking at. So, <laughs> sure. um, if you don't mind, I got some pictures of waveforms. <clears throat> so, um, so this came from uh, a foam frat. So, shout out to them for putting all this work into it. But um, if you don't mind, the the, the teacher in me uh, can't help sure. but quick explain this part. But uh, if you can see my cursor. Um, yep. So all this is, you know, essentially no air movement. You know, that's why you have this. Dead no space. CO2 movement. Right. Yeah, no exactly. CO2 movement. So I think of that as like the isoelectric line on an ECG, right? That's kind of the 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 floor, if you will. Yeah. And so that's why calibrating is important because that's setting what true zero is for that place you're at with that patient. Yep, right? absolutely. So that way you know where that floor is. If you actually have it at five, your whole floor is offset. And now it's, you're going to miss some of the detail with what's going on. So you can see there, the inhalation is basically zero, right? So that's, yeah. that's air coming through with just normal atmospheric levels of CO2. You can yeah. see the start of that slope up as the mix in the dead space, as you start seeing the, you know, the air that was kind of sitting in between your your mouth and your uh, your carina kind of that area hanging out mm -hmm. doing its thing. It starts to mix. You get to the full alveolar exchange where it's all the CO two coming out in the breath, and then it should in theory have that little. You can see it's a very subtle but a climb from left mm -hmm. to right where it's going to go. 
go kind of up. That is where it's at that beta angle. That's where it's establishing what your entitled CO2 number is. That metric, the numeric comes from that point right there. Okay. And that's kind of the end of your exhalation. And then you can see it drop off because now you're inhaling. So you're drawing fresh air across the sensor. You're clearing out all that CO2 that was uh, being blown out. And especially on the, on the Emma, there's only six milliliters of dead space in there. So it's very small. And some other types of entitled CO2, there's the tubing you know, that runs in between the two. It can add a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. dead space. It may change the waveform a little bit. So just be aware of that if you're looking at other stuff. Be very, very similar, very close, but just be aware of round off a little bit more. Okay. Yep. 100% makes sense. And then it returns back to your, your baseline, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. ideally, right? Um, Ideally, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've kind of arranged these kind of in a march sequence. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned about you know airway confirmation. Um, yep. So you know when you're monitoring, you know you have your normal waveform, but then things start going awry. So is this right. like air leaking? Like, is there any way to tell like why this is happening? Well, I mean, I think looking at the waveform and then using your clinical judgment on the ground of, all right, well, what type of airway am I using? Am I using mm-hmm. a mask? I'm using a mask and I'm seeing this and I can feel as I bag them or is that, is they, that their breath doesn't change that much, then I think I have a leak. And I would yeah. say similar if you have a tube, whether it's a trach or uh, some other airway type, it would be the same thing. You have to preserve the patient how's that chest rise and fall and does it does it line up with what i'm seeing on there if not there's probably a leak somewhere and you just need yeah. to kind of go through your go through your problem solving uh matrix to find where and what what the issue is yep and then uh speaking of your problem problem solving <laughs> yeah. matrix you have the dope mnemonic right um yes. but again you know all of this is a bad <laughs> this is all bad right Yes. Um, yeah, yes. normal waveform, and then suddenly you got nothing, you know, immediately jump into your dope mnemonic, um, you know, dislodgement, obstruction, pulmonary, uh, or sorry, um, pneumothorax, and then potentially maybe it's your gear that, you know, the batteries died or, or who knows yeah. what's, what's happened. But, um, you know, you definitely got to jump on that as rapidly as possible. Yes. Yes. Not breathing is not good. Yeah. Just to sum that up. <laughs> Um, um, so things like this, like the shark fin, what exactly so is going your, on here? So it's your, your in bronchoconstriction. So I think you're like your asthmatic patient or some other traumatic airway constriction. Um, it's a little harder for you to get the air out as fast as you want to get it out. As you see kind of that rounding as you're kind of pushing that air out You're you're fighting to get it out of you. And then it comes up and then you go back to your inhale and you inhale fine and you pull it in, you clear that tube, but then your exhale just takes a little more effort to get that clear. If that makes sense. You yeah. see that rounding versus that sharp inhalation, your you your diaphragm drops, but the air is struggling to get out. Right. Right. Uh so you know, classic, I guess, emphysema, but I guess how like they mentioned pneumothorax. Why would you have a down angle? What is that? Your phase three or two? Your phase two? This uh, alveolar line? Why would that be a downward angle? 
because you're the the air is finding the co2 is finding a different pathway to escape it's not coming out through your tube right it's coming out through a hole in the chest wall somewhere okay so this may not be just in the chest wall this could be damage to the actual lung itself right yes yeah it's finding an alternative way to get get out okay um just out of curiosity so we had mentioned this corner is your where your uh the monitor is going to get your number does it default mm -hmm. to whatever the highest number is or is it in this phase it, it does default to what the highest number is just in a physiologically normal patient it would have been the the right hand side of your right and this patient would actually pull it from the left okay okay yes yeah, so what the true highest number of that return is okay um so some other stuff i see this all the time Right. Absolutely. So, as have as have I. So yeah, you can see with every breath, because they're taking such a rapid cadence, you can see there being less and less of a pool of CO2 to pull from. And so you see them blowing it off, you know, presumably from 45 down to, I don't know, tw you know, 25, 30, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's obviously not not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> right. But I mean, that can be, again, you know, like we mentioned before, not relying on just one parameter right. to tell you, you know, this is what's wrong with them, because this could be pain. Um, this could be their bleeding. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons why, you know, they're starting to lose entitled CO2. And all of this is right. just a normal physiologic response to, or, you know, from the sympathetic response. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, definitely do not just rely on one number to tell you this is what you have to do. Well, this could be even be your your rescue buddy over bagging, right? That's where I right. saw it a lot with fire firefighter helpers sometimes doing CPR. They're watching you do compressions. They're pumping at the same speed you're compressing, and you see the same slope off. And, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's one thing a patient's hyperventilating because they were just sprinting to try to get to you because they're scared, because whatever else is going on, there's a yeah. ton of reasons. Preferably, you don't want to see them continue that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever ride they're on, you want to want to change it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and that's a just a normal, I think, human reaction to do. Um, so, you know, we talked about bleeding. So essentially mm -hmm. the guy has a pretty normal rhythm, but he's just slowly kind of dropping yep. off that CO2. So, you know, you're exactly. at say normal is your perfect, you know, as they're as they're bleeding out, they just let have those less and less RBCs to uh, catch that CO2 and bring out through the lungs. So they're just slowly exactly right. losing that uh, CO2. Uh, da, da, da. Why getting away and, from crystalloids is such a good move, right? Yeah. Getting the things that actually carry oxygen. That's right. So, you know, like you just mentioned, you know, getting things that carry oxygen, not just, uh, you know, doing CPR, do you get ROSC? just giving blood right so you have these mm -hmm. really low end tidal numbers and then suddenly you know you hit them with uh you know one or two units of blood and boom thing jumps way up yep yeah it really is pretty market to see it is that big of a change in patients especially cardiac arrest when you yeah. get rosk it's pretty pretty awesome yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so you know like you just mentioned, you know, your your patient 
is getting overbagged. They're starting to stack breaths um, mm-hmm. so that it's the reason why they're not kind of returning back to that zero is they're, you know, they're stacking breaths. So that pressure um, is kind of building and building, right? Or you could have a, a your exhalation circuit could be too long where their mm-hmm. their breath isn't fully clearing it. You've introduced too much dead space, right? Okay. And you need to find a way to either clear that with oxygen or clear that by shortening that chain. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, they're keeping a little more entitled CO two on every every breath because you'd see that same isoelectric line like we talked about. What was zero in the beginning is one, two, three. It is growing. So they're not getting the clearance out for whatever reason. Right. Um, one thing, I have never seen it grow like this, but I have seen it, you know, just be just above zero is when you add PEEP onto that circuit. Right. And it will it'll never come back to zero or it should never come back to zero. Um, but it'll stay, you know, stay consistent, but it'll stay at whatever that number of uh, PEEP that you dialed it, dialed it to. You know, so it's five. Exactly. If you move it up to, you know, seven or a number bigger, you're going to see it grow. Um, but again, it'll be consistent across each of the waveforms there. Um, right. So, kind of moving on to some of the others, right? Hypoventilation. So, you know, classic thing, and it it drives me kind of crazy. Um, is because somebody will say they're not breathing normal, make them breathe normal. And, um, like that doesn't like normal numbers in an abnormal patient doesn't make them suddenly better. Right. Right. So, right. (laughs) But I've seen this super, this particular waveform very commonly when they just slam people with narcotics and that, that respiratory drive, like they start to kick the legs out from underneath it and they're breathing at exactly. five, seven, something like that. And, you know, people start freaking out. He's satting fine. You know, you just, you know, overdose this guy. Um, so right. they'll start bagging them and then, you know, the wheels start shaking and, you know, things, bad things start happening, you know? And it happens quick once you start going down the, going down the hole. Right. Um, and the last one I was going to look at, or I'd like to talk about, is this curare cleft. So this is super, um, I mean, I guess a classic sign. Your paralytics are starting to wear off. Um, is that affected also by your sedation, or is this solely your paralytics? Anytime somebody's coming out and trying to breathe on their own, Okay. And breathe outside either your vent or your bagging, you could see the same demarcation. At least that's my understanding is that that is associated with the patient's attempts to breathe in. Okay. In the middle um, of the Because I've, I've definitely, I've seen things like this. Sometimes it's a little more chaotic across that plateau. Um, but, you know, the patient's starting to come out of sedation and, um, because it's, you know, they're not kicking or, you know, anything like that. Um, they're just starting to come out. This kind of gets overlooked. And this is kind of your, your first warning that they're starting to uh, want to breathe on their own, which is a great sign if that's exactly what you want them to do. Um, <laughs> but, if it, but if it's not, 
you know, that's your indicator that they're they're going to need more sedation to take control. Exactly. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's good when you're hoping to bring them out, but it's not something you want to see if you've got a long transport and you weren't planning on that. Right. Or your bid procedure. Right. 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 Um, so, is there anything else? I guess that uh, we didn't we need to know about whether it's be waveforms or just anything about the Emma that you wish King for a day. You knew that people <laughs> knew about, you know, the Emma. I mean, thankfully, I think, especially in the in your community, I think a lot of people were familiar with it. The conventional side, some people were familiar with it. We don't have quite the. It's not out in every aid bag yet, you know. And I think right. it doesn't really tie directly to just Emma, but to all the gear. I think it's guys need to get it, get it out. And use all your gears, stethoscope, blood pressure cuff, your pulse ox, all your stuff. Use it on healthy patients. Use it not when everything is going horrible. So you know what does normal sound like? What does normal look like? How does this perform on a patient that I know is healthy? Or maybe he's not that healthy. Maybe he's a little dehydrated and he fell out on a rock march, whatever. Putting those reps and sets in early, and that's, again, Emma, whatever, I think that is the most important thing a medic can do to me in my mind. And so they're comfortable yeah. with the observations they can make and see and learn and correlate in their own internal dialogue is going to help them bring more patients back next time and help more guys out. And it's only going to help them grow. Yeah. So no, like I said, you're hundred percent. Right. Yeah. You're hundred percent. Right. Cause I've, I've seen guys just excited as hell. They're like, I have the Emma, right? <laughs> right. And you know, this is you know, it's this is not you know Jesus's blood. It's it's a device. Right. It's a device. Right. One, you have to know how to one use data it. Data point. It's important data point, but you need to look at the whole picture because I could throw just random numbers at you all day and like, what do you think is going on with a end title of forty five? Yeah. You know, like without all the rest of the picture, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah. It's super, super handy if you have it and you have the rest of your picture. It's a lot of info. Yep, absolutely. Um, so let's say I'm a medic by myself. I have to pay for everything on my own. How would I go about, you know, contacting uh, your company or like how would I how would I even go about trying to order this? Yeah, so you, you contact us. It, 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 yeah, there, there are a ton of ways. Uh, you know, we, we do have awesome resellers out there, um, depending on your branch. Uh, but you'd also go to Massimo.com and uh, get a direct from us. So, yeah, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to help out. I'm all over LinkedIn, usually stalking Dennis. So okay. I'm here to help. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, I gotta, I gotta say, I really appreciate you walking me through the Emma, and uh, you know, what can it do? Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about it. I love this thing. I got to play with it a lot, but I don't got to talk about it uh, to my computer a whole lot. So this is exciting. <laughs> cool. <laughs> For today's podcast, be sure to go to our website www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. 
Oh. Three boys waiting there for you.